here today. My family wishes that we could be here together, but I'm excited also to be here. Just an update about the crossroad. My wife and I have been directing the crossroad. It's a youth center downtown Clearfield, which your church supports. Thank you so much uh, for supporting us on a regular basis and praying for us. It's huge. It's a big deal. It's very encouraging for our, for our staff, and uh, I get the privilege of being able to, uh, on a weekly basis, open the crossroad with volunteer staff and to reach out to the uh, youth of the area. Recently, there's, it's been a challenge for a number of years, but recently we have had some, some what seem like compounding challenges. Sometimes there are students that will come down, which are not all, but in many cases there can be individuals who they may be high, they may be drunk, they might try and you know, do something outside the crossroad, very unsavory, maybe some sort of transaction going on somewhere around the corner, which, which is tough because we really work hard to try and manage, to try and kind of keep our eyes open and communicate with each other. Well, there was an instance recently where someone had been drinking a couple blocks away, a couple of students, and in addition to that, there was a student who was on something, not drinking, but he had actually stumbled into the crossroad. He's probably in about eighth grade, stumbled into the crossroad, in and out, and I mean, you could definitely tell from the way he was walking, almost falling on the ground, something was not right. So we decided we actually closed the crossroad for several weeks, and that's a little bit of a piggyback with some of my own internal frustrations. My brother actually passed away over the summertime of a heroin overdose, and so there's been some things internally that I've been wrestling with. And realizing that actually their drugs are a problem in this area. Heroin especially is a huge problem, and it seems to be growing. And so we decided to close for a couple of weeks. And in some sense, to kind of add a little bit of shock value to students, we just put something on the door and said, uh, until further notice, Crossroad is, is closed. And so, uh, which led to a lot of conversation in the community, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, there's a lot of talk always, so just, we've just learned to embrace that conversation that happens in the community, trying to address it the best we can, but realizing, you know, you just, you can't always, you can't always help those sorts of things when you're trying to reach out to those who are lost. So we, we had a meeting after several weeks of being closed as volunteer staff, when we just, we sat, we prayed, we thought, Lord, what is it that we need to do to connect with these students? And so uh, we, we had some ideas. We realized we need to be connecting personally as best we can. Each one of us has our own families, has our own jobs. There's, there's different things that make it difficult. There's no substitute for time when it comes to building relationships. So it's kind of hard to be able to bridge that gap without spending time with students. So we pray, Lord, help us to, because we can't. There's obviously the efforts, what we're trying to do. We're doing our best. We're sharing the gospel on a weekly basis. People are hearing the gospel. Those things are good. But we want to be able to break into this what seems like a stronghold, seems like this bondage that exists, and we're just very tired of it, so tired of it continually being an issue. It's my town, it's my community, it's my problem. And so we decided that we would just try a couple of different things. We're trying to work on addressing uh, the issue by bringing it up in conversation. On one side, we realize that there's substance abuse. On another side, we realize that also uh, sexual abuse is an issue. That is something that's growing. And, and people, whether we rec necessarily recognize the enormity of the issue, the statistics really speak loudly of the issue of sexual abuse. 
And so we realize some of the students that have come in, if we've, we talk one-on-one and they've shared stories. They've shared somewhat of their experience. And it almost seems like as they're sharing, as they're sharing with us, there's a measure of normalcy. Like that is just something that happens. Or it just seems to be something they've experienced. And so it's kind of a little bit of a shock. But in some of the ministry work we do, we've been trying to reach out human trafficking overseas in in some of the ministry work that I do. And then also here looking at addressing some of that, human trafficking, sex slavery, and an aspect of sexual abuse. So there's, there's a lot that we're thinking about. However, focusing more specifically, what we've said is we put a couple posters on the window, pictures of people who are in their addiction and some of the before and after pictures and, and have plans to put up a picture of my brother, a big poster that says this man with his kids, have a picture of him and his kids, this man was a father but no longer is because he's dead now of an overdose. And so now these children are left fatherless. And the idea is that, you know what? The world is quite honest, and a lot of what students hear, a lot of what our youth are experiencing and exposed to is very, very mature things. A lot of it, unfortunately, very advanced in maturity in what they should be hearing, whether they should be or not. There's a lot of things that they are hearing, seeing with their eyes. And so we're kind of like, what? well, a lot of that's going on. Why are we not... Why are we not being, and I, and I tend to think that we're, as a staff, we're pretty honest about life and sharing about the reality of struggles just as human beings. Why are we not addressing this in the face of some of this stuff? And sometimes it's difficult, but we are trying to, or taking steps in the direction of connecting with these students and of saying to them, hey, you know what, we... Uh, so we realize life is hard for your family. What's that like not having a father or dad not being around? What's that like for you, even though dad's in the picture, but he doesn't really seem to care? Because a lot of them are experiencing or seeing things that they're not really shocked anymore. It's kind of a desensitized generation. And so we figure, you know what, Lord? Let's use this to our advantage. Let's look at ways of being able to connect with these students because this world is very honest with them and doesn't necessarily choose to show any reservation in terms of how rough life can be and how, how raw things can be. So we need to do the same and try to do our best to do that in a respectful way. So we're addressing some of these things. The beauty is that there have been some recent connections. One of our staff, volunteer staff, has had, has had a student over her and her husband's house several times to, to sew, which is pretty wild, really fun, but she has a sewing machine in her house and so... The girl likes to sew, so she's gone over now. It'll be three times tomorrow, if she makes it, that she's been there, which is a huge deal because for a lot of students there can be a disconnect and they're not really sure. They realize we're kind of strange in terms of how different we are and yet at the same time we play four square at the crossroad and we play, you know, ridiculous. We do a lot of nonsense things because we realize we have to connect with these students and we have to be mature enough to be immature. And so we try to connect with these students in, in a lot of different ways. But So students kind of like, you know, we're strange, but at the same time, you are real people. And that's what they need to know is that life isn't all nice and neat and packaged clean and everything's just smooth and without issue. Life is hard, and uh, we recognize that for those students and want to be able to enter in the best we can. So that's been a beautiful thing. And even as recent as we were closed this past Friday, but the week before, again, able to share the gospel. Very straightforward in a way that a girl heard 
maybe more clearly than she had ever heard before, the gospel from one of our staff members. And she really was soaking it in, listening very intently. And we try our best to, to be able to share on a weekly basis and, and try to be able to connect with them and just share life. That's a lot of what our ministry is about. You know, for me, as now being 32 years old, as a, thinking back to when I was younger, I, I recognize that I spent a great deal of my time trying to be different. Do you remember, some of you may be older than me, trying to remember back to what that was like? And I told myself, I said, I am not going to forget when I get older what it was like to be this age. Well, you know, it just, it just kind of gradually, you, life happens and gets full and things change and your perspective shifts. I'm married, I have two kids. My perspective is different today than it was. Good, bad, or indifferent, that's just the way that life tends to be. And so, so, you know, for me, thinking back to when I was younger, there was a side of which I really tried to be different, but at the same time, I tried to fit in, which, how do you blend those two things together, right? Trying to be different, and yet wanting to fit in. And the crazy thing is that, with my friends, family, trying to figure all that out, as, as a young person, I didn't necessarily understand or know what that even looked like, because I was trying to discover my own identity. And I find that even I may have matured or grown in life experience, yet today still I can wrestle with a measure of trying to be different and yet trying to fit in. We're not really necessarily all that different in terms of we're still people. Maybe I was 20 years younger, and yet at the same time, I experience a lot of just the same things of humanity that even what youth experience. And they're exposed to a lot of things that maybe I'm exposed to. Maybe more in my own life choices they're exposed to because I choose this lifestyle while students are exposed to many other things in this world. And so as I thought about that, I recognized that as much as those two things are true, as people, as children of God, there's a sense of what God calls holiness that He has called us to and where we even trying to figure out for ourselves how we are different, and yet how we fit in to this whole thing where we're in this world, but we're not of this world, as Jesus spoke and as Scripture teaches us, trying to understand what that looks like. And so I wanted to speak this morning on the topic of God's attribute of holiness. And what's beautiful is that you know some attributes can be very distinct to who God is, and yet some things we share in when you think of the creator of the entire universe who existed without any human being around, calling us as people, as creatures created from the dust, and yet he allows us to enter in and to share in some of who he is and his character and his person. He allows us to share in the beauty of his character. So I want to start by looking at Leviticus chapter 19. We'll be in a couple different places. But I want to look at the attribute of God's holiness and how it pertains to you and I. This is something that maybe, I mean, maybe you guys here in this, in this church body hear about God's holiness. I know there are many church bodies that in the course of their sitting in church or sitting on a Sunday morning have never even heard, other than the word being sung in a song, have never really had exposure to the holiness of God. And yet, regardless of how much time we have heard, uh, how many instances it's, it's good to delve into and hear these things anew. 
And so Leviticus chapter 19, verses 1 through 2. And the Lord spoke to Moses, this is for the people of Israel, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So here's a command that we're, that's put before the people of God. All right, we'll see how it relates to us because it's not just for Israel and pertaining to the Old Covenant, but it pertains to us as well. But here he calls Israel, all the congregation of the people, to be holy. Well then, the question naturally follows, why? Why does he want them to be holy? Well, he says, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Okay, what is meant by that? When we use the word holy, we talk about that. What, what is meant what, when we say that? What is a, a definition? Give us a, a working definition. Well, the, the root of the word holy, as we understand it, uh, it's kadosh from Hebrew, and it means to cut and to separate. So you ever think about like, you know, you're cutting vegetables, okay? Maybe you're cutting carrots or celery. You're doing it for a reason, right? I mean, you're not just cutting because you like to cut. I don't know, maybe you have done. I don't know if you like to cut fruits and vegetables just because. Usually it's for a purpose. So you cut it and there's a separation that happens. And so there's, it was in a different, it was in a different kind of uh, existence. But now it serves a new purpose. Now somehow it's being changed and being set aside. And so the very root of the word holy, as we understand it, is to cut and to separate. And it's to something or to someone. So not only is it being separated, if we just said the example of a carrot, being separated from the rest of the whole, it's also being separated unto something. Okay, so there's something that's going on here, a separation from and a separation to. So now we should look at, if God is the one who calls us to be holy, all right, to be separate, He calls us unto Himself, okay, to be distinct as unto Him, then we should look at the character of God, the person of God. Zoom in on His holiness to be able to better understand this. Because to speak of God as holy, as understood in Scripture, as we look at the Word of God, is to speak of Him being separate from and transcendent above His creation. Okay? Completely separate from and transcendent. So I, I'm, I'm speaking of when I say the word transcendent, it's completely above and beyond. Okay? So, in a way that he's separate from and transcendent above his creation's corruption. So God is not tainted by his creation. He chooses to enter into and embrace all of creation, embrace you and I. And yet, God is not corrupted in his character, in his person. And so he is holy and set apart. And we're touching on his most preeminent attribute. And we'll see some of this. The most preeminent, most it is primary. You see it as, as influencing all of the other attributes of God. We look, if we look at Exodus chapter 15 and verse 11, it says this, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? So the question is asked, and this is in a song, a little bit of backdrop is, the people of Israel had just been called out of bondage. They were in slavery to the Egyptian people underneath Pharaoh's 
his, his huge oppressive thumb. They were brought out, which is actually a picture for us as believers, brought out of the slave market of sin and our oppression to being in bondage to sin. So Israel was brought out, and here they pass through the Red Sea, and Egypt, Egypt is chasing after them. Pharaoh's army is pursuing the people of Israel. And they're like, what are we going to do? So they pass through on dry land. They come to the other side and God brings the waters down and destroys Israel's enemies. Those who had hardened their hearts to the Lord. And so after this having happened, they break into song and they begin to worship the Lord and rejoice in Him, saying, Who is like you, O Lord? And it's kind of a rhetorical question. Oh, there is no one like you, Lord God. Is there anyone who has done such a thing? Who has brought a people out from another nation that might have been two million people that God brought out of Egypt. Is there anyone like you in all the world who has ever done such a thing? A God that exists that would have ever done such a mighty work, majestic in holiness. Lord, you were majestic like a king, glorious like an emperor. And that's, a, that's in the face of the Pharaoh who had just... His army had just been destroyed and who had set himself up to be God. But truly the Lord, Yahweh, is majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. There is no one like you, Lord. And so we see something of God's holiness. There is no one like him. And his deeds, his wonders demonstrate that. He is majestic in his separation from creation, in his separation from the world and its corruption. And so then... As we look at in Isaiah 6, verses 1-4, through 4, a very familiar passage speaking of the holiness of the Lord. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two He covered His face. With two He covered His feet. And with two He flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of Him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And we would read something similar if we were to turn to Revelation chapter 4. You would read something similar, reading about the seraphim. And their specific purpose, what they were created for, is this very thing. If we look at these, create, these creatures to understand something about God's holiness, the brilliance, even if we look at these creatures, right? If we stop and we think about this, here you have these creatures with eyes all around on the front and behind. Six wings, two covering face, two covering feet, and two flying around. And all the time, crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. If we look at the uniqueness of such a thing, this is a created being. Now, if, if something like that, let's say the seraphim, suddenly appeared in this room in an instant and all of a sudden stood over us, what would be your response? <laughs> I mean, we've never seen such a thing, right? You've never seen anything like that before. Now, if I were to say something like, okay, if you were to encounter in a field, say you're in the middle of a field, not really any houses around or anything. And uh, if you had an option of being approached by, you know, let's say a guy who's seven and a half feet tall and wants to, you know, tear you limb from, limb from limb, 
or you're going to be presented with the option of uh, some sort of alien creature approaching you. And you don't really know what their intent is. Which would you choose? Now I know for me, hey, there's almost a part of me like I really, a seven and a half foot guy, okay, at least I know what you are. You might want to tear me limb from limb. But if I stand before some sort of alien thing I've never seen before, I'm not really sure what to do here. I, I might try to really you know, freak out and run in the opposite direction. In the same way, we think about a seraphim appearing before us. I mean, any time that something like that happened in Scripture, every response of a human being was always often fear when they came in brilliance or to fall down dead. Most often the experience when standing before something so brilliant. So if, if <laughs> that's the experience of something like that, whose purpose ever always being created for this, only ever to call out holy, holy, holy. I mean, this is, this is the seraphim's one purpose. It was created for this. That even right now as you sit and listen, when you got up this morning, as you were sleeping and dreaming last night, you'll leave here and you'll have lunch. What's happening in heaven? The entire time, always, holy, 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 there is this cry that we can't hear with our ears right now. We will at some point. But it's happening because God is. And He is so worthy. He is so holy, so set apart that we have this created being always ever speaking this way. Now, these are merely created beings. How much greater the majesty and brilliance of God Almighty when we stop and we chew on and we consider that God is the One who created such a thing that we have never seen before. And if we were to look at even their proclamation, holy, 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 there isn't any other attribute of God that's spoken in such a way. You don't hear at any time in Scripture, love, love, love you have, Lord. Or just, just, just is Almighty God. You hear holy, holy, holy. More than once in Scripture, which is unique. It's enough to say that God is holy. If we just said, holy is the Lord, that would be enough. And yet, thrice, three times in several different instances, you hear this spoken. And what is the response of Isaiah? This sinful man, he recognizes when he sees the glory, the majesty of God in His holiness, what he has never seen before, it causes him to look at himself Behold his own sinfulness, his uncleanness, and pronounce a curse on himself. That's where it leaves him. Not because, I mean, God hasn't even said anything, right? There haven't been any words that come. God's just sitting there on a throne. He, he said nothing so far. But here someone else is proclaiming, hasn't addressed Isaiah specifically, he's just having this vision. And his response in the midst of that is to fall down like a man who is dead. And pronounce a curse on himself. Even the most brilliant and distinct created beings give glory and honor and thanks as others freely relinquish the rewards bestowed upon them. And so in some instances, you see brilliant creatures demonstrating the glory of God and speaking to the Lord in such a way. And yet other people like Isaiah relinquishing any sort of rewards. As you see in, in Revelation, they throw their crowns, they cast them down before the Lord. Giving up to Him who is holy, who is set apart. What belongs to Him, 
as His. And so if we were to continue, we look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-8. through eight. We see another instance of the holiness of God. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He existed, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now why do we use this passage to look at the holiness of God? Well, because we can certainly see it there. God the Creator, the One who was set apart. We said transcendent. He is beyond. He is above. Somehow. He is Creator God. And in Christ Jesus, we see God Almighty forfeiting eternal glories, choosing to relinquish and give that up, being worshipped, and doing this voluntarily for what? So that He could come and could be a creature. So that He could take on human form. This is the God who was spoken of as holy, holy, holy. The one that was worshipped before whom creatures fall down and cast their crowns and bow before Him. And yet He does this. Jesus Christ, as God Almighty, forfeits eternal glory. He does it voluntarily. He does it willfully. He does not do it begrudgingly. It pleased Jesus Christ to choose to step down and to embrace what you and I experience. He was in the form of God, but He set the right and the privilege aside to take on the form of a bondservant, a slave, being born in the likeness of us. And He chose humility. We can see in this act, we can see in Jesus' life, His submission to an outside will. He had to agree to this. And it was something that was agreed upon before all of creation. Scripture talks about how the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. And so Jesus Christ agreed to this within the Godhead. He had said this is what He would do. He submitted to an outside will in the, in the entirety of His human life. He fulfilled the Father's good pleasure in being crushed by the hands of godless men and for godless men. Who is this God? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Who is this? When we think about it, what His choice is and how we see it, it's something that often I can get so jaded, I can, I can become so used to, I feel like. When I think about the idea of the holiness of God and what He has done, I just kind of think, you know, I sing holy, 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 or, and I say this about myself. This isn't a, I'm not even condemning myself, but just to recognize the reality that I know as a human being, this is a struggle. But for us to stop and to become absorbed with God and His holiness, there is none like Him. And that is so significant. His holiness directly affects every other attribute of His. Every single one. If we, could speak of his, if we would speak of His personhood, who else exists as one being in three persons? You bet anybody like that? Maybe the best, best picture we have is the body of Christ. Or we might have, we say in marriage, okay, this idea of uh, two human beings 
totally different, yet sharing the same nature, okay? Two different persons coming together and somehow entering in to become one flesh. That's maybe the closest thing we can think of. But this idea for three, three persons sharing the same nature and essence, uncreated, with no beginning and no end. Is there anyone else that's like this? Who else is absolutely free in their will? Right? I might say, well, in this country, hey, we're free to do, well, we're not really so free. I can't just, you know, I'm not going to leave here and go fly back to my house. You know, I'm not going to be able to, I can make plans all I want. But the reality is, we know from life experience, things don't always work out the way we plan. But God is absolutely free in all that He does. And yet, He chose to be constrained, coming down in human form, and yielding Himself to purchase us, to purchase you with His own blood. He loves you. He is holy. He's called you to holiness. Who else is entirely independent He is in need of nothing. He's fully satisfied. God doesn't have need of food, of water, of air. He doesn't have need of of human affection. God within Himself is completely content. And so here He creates us. He makes created beings for His own pleasure, and yet He didn't need to. And yet somehow we're the ones who are the beneficiaries. We're the ones who receive. He created us. And his desire was that we'd enter into his character, enter into his holiness, share with him in the riches of his grace, in his mercy, in his loving kindness, to be recipients so that in the ages to come, so that you and I might forever be shown the riches of his grace and kindness. And Scripture speaks of that. How you and I, that is our inheritance. That we will sit with Jesus Christ on his throne as Christ has sat with his Father on the Father's throne. Have any of you done anything to deserve this? I know I sure haven't. And yet God, there is no one like Him. Who else is going to do something like that? Is going to go to that length and distance in the face of your choices, in the face of your mistakes or of even willful choices that I would make to hurt them, to, to do such things that would show disrespect because that is, that is the story of our lives. And yet, God pours out His love and lavishes with His grace. This is the holy God that we know. He alone gives to all mankind life and breath and all things. He is set apart in His greatness and perfection. No other is all-powerful. No other is all-knowing. No other is all-present everywhere at all times. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. There is no one like Him. In some moments, we get a glimpse of this in a small way. And sometimes we're able to see it where we recognize, we stop, and like the writers of Scripture, identifying with their experience, realizing that we are so frail and we are so not like God in His holiness. And yet, He has chosen to dwell in every single one of us who believe in Him. He has made a decision that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved and He will deposit His Holy Spirit in us. Somehow the God of creation who is holy desires to reside within each one of us and to give us life and more abundantly, to fill us with His joy. God's good pleasure that He would do these things. The eternal God has made the ultimate condescension in His Son. And not just that, 
but he who was holy, holy, holy stoops down to live in us and to set us apart, the born-again children of God. How is this? Can anyone explain? How can we understand and fathom the depths of God's holiness, of who He is? And we could look again at Scripture. Time doesn't permit for us to, to delve even. We could spend hours upon hours discussing this. We would look at First Peter. We would see that in his call. More than anything else, God is concerned with your being holy, with our being set apart. Set apart primarily from sin, from the sinful world, this world that rages against God, this world system. So set apart from sin and this corrupt world and set apart unto Him. Because if we just said set apart from the sin in the world, we could you know, become self-righteous and think of ourselves as, you know, well, I'm just not supposed to be like those people over there. And, you know, and that's something that I become susceptible to. We're all easily prone to. And yet on the other side, it's not just that. It's we're set apart unto. We're set apart to the living God. We're set apart to one who is not dead, who, one who is alive in whom we hope that we will see Him face to face someday. And all of this life will make sense. And so God is concerned with our being set apart and withdrawn from common use for His good purposes and His good pleasure. And that's when it, sends in, when it says in Scripture, in Romans chapter 8, and verse 28, you know that familiar verse? I'm sure you could quote it, right? For we know that all things work together for the good of those who love Him and are the called according to His purpose. And a lot of times we hear that and we think, we, you know, we want to kind of like, all right, Lord, all things work together for good. Okay, you know, I mean, but even in your most sanctified moments, sometimes it's a really hard concept to wrestle with. We have to get an understanding of what he means. When he says, our good and the called according to his purpose, what is that? The context is important. So if we were to look just a verse later, it says that our good, our good isn't just to make our lives happy or, you know, to have kind of our, our jobs go well and our, our children have white teeth and a great smile and, you know, the best college education. That's not necessarily the good that the Lord is seeking. Biblically, when it talks about our good, it's our being conformed to the image of His Son. It says, God, who, those whom He has predestined, He is uh, foreknown. Those, those whom He has uh, predestined, He's justified. Those whom He's justified, He's glorified. Okay. And it talks about how God, His desire is to conform us to the image of the Son, to make us look more like Jesus Christ. And so that's God's every attempt, His every effort, all the circumstances of our life is God is trying to bring that about. And so He is far more concerned about my holiness, about your holiness and being set apart, than He is about your happiness, which is sometimes hard to wrestle with. But it's just true biblically. Because your holiness is a reflection of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God must set you apart from sinful corruption. He must withdraw you from the common uses of this world. That's His pursuit. So we think about in your personal life. This is where these things, when we try to relate it, well, how does this deal with me personally? Hopefully you're wrestling with some of that. Or you're thinking about it, or just taking it in. In our personal lives, my finances, giving with an eternal mindset, that's, that's what God desires that we would have eternity in view as we give and recognize that ultimately it's not an Old Testament principle of giving 10% or 
And more accurately, it was probably like 30% in, in Old Testament scripture. But it's more perspective of, Lord, you purchased me with your own blood. Everything belongs to you. And wrestling with that and saying, Lord, I offer up to you my life. And let me demonstrate that in my finances. Let me demonstrate that with my checkbook. In our free time, really our lives are, God has given us this stewardship where there's a beautiful thing that God has said here. I give to you this life. And now, it being from him is also, he's going to sustain. So it's going to be through him. And the scripture it says it will be to him ultimately. So that's the mindset we're supposed to have. That all things, including our very breath, our heartbeat, from Him, through Him, and to Him, belongs all of us. Our friends. You know, thinking in terms of our friends, if, you know, if you're young and you're in here, you're, you know, if you're a teenager, even if you are older, whatever it might be, wherever you are in life, running with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Brothers and sisters in Christ who desire to live godly, to mature in Christ. In your work ethic, not compromising on reports or how time is spent in filing your taxes. God says He wants us to be holy. He calls us to that. Fathers and how you pastor your family. You're the true shepherd of your family. Pastor Matt is over the congregation and we look to him. You look to him for leadership. But fathers, you are the, you are the true pastor of your family. Something beautiful about that. Responsible to lead them. And how they're, how they're walking spiritually. Providing for them financially, emotionally. God calls you to be holy. Mothers and how you train up your children biblically. Your children are be holy. And so you have this amazing value, this amazing opportunity to value your children more than the praises of other women, to withdraw them from common uses of this world and shape them into the Lord's eyes. Greatness in His sight. God calls you to be holy. In marriage, okay, God calls us to be holy. In retirement, are you seeking to give God glory with your remaining days? Your older men pouring into the younger. Older women pouring into the younger. Setting a godly example for your children to follow in a twisted and perverse generation. And as I look time and time again at the crossroad, I'm down there with students on a regular basis. And I look at the challenges that my own children will face. I recognize that it's the testimony of Scripture. And we can see it lived out that this world is only growing darker and darker. Morality is only becoming washed and watered down more and more. The people of God, it seems like, are faced on every side with affliction. The laws in this country, around the world, are being twisted and suiting the people, maybe the, the people who best want to fulfill that particular agenda. I see it lived out more and more that this is becoming a twisted and perverse generation. And so we're going to look stranger and stranger as we call to holiness. It's always been that way, but as it gets darker, the light of Christ in us, the people of God, is going to shine brighter. The glory of God is going to be more manifest. It's going to be more evident. And so we look to the Lord of how He wants to shape us in His holiness. We recognize holy, holy, holy is the Lord.